All right. Hey, good morning, One Church. How's everybody doing today? All right. Yeah. Woo. Thanks again to Brooke and, and Josh uh, singing for us this morning. The song White Picket Fence. <laughs> what a great song to wrap up uh, or begin to wrap up our series. We got a little bit more of Listen to Me to do. Um, I thought it was really fitting to ask, to ask Brooke come and, and sing one because she's awesome <laughs> and she's wonderful when she sings and, and uh, um, I'm so thankful for, for her voice. She sings for us on, at Remix on Wednesday nights, our, our student environment. But I thought how fitting it is to have a teenager sing a song about the white picket fences that, that she is, is looking forward to and praying about and hoping for um, because what we're doing here in this series as we consider our homes, as we consider our marriages, as we consider our families, as we pray through those things and, and, and work together to rebuild that, the eyes of the next generation are upon us. We have teenagers who are looking to us to see how we're going to respond when crisis comes and tragedy comes, and they're going to watch to see what we do when, when there's pain and sorrow. They're going to watch what we do when there's joy and triumph. What we're doing here as we talk about rebuilding our homes, rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our marriages, what we're talking about here is not just so we can survive today, it's that we can be a people who thrive. Not just for, for our time, but for the generations that follow us. So what a great challenge to hear a young person sing, this is what I'm looking forward to, this is what I'm praying about, this is, this is what my, my dream is, I want those white picket fences. I want a family. I want a marriage, I want a home, I want that, that romance. And they're looking to us to see how we journey and do that. We've spent this last month talking about the book of Nehemiah, using that as, as our backdrop to talk about rebuilding our homes, moving from the ideal into the real. And in the real, bad stuff happens and hard things happen and difficult times come. But what we are charged with is rebuilding, not just for the moment, but for the generations that are behind us. Inside the book of Nehemiah, there is a, a, a balance of both now and later. His, his, his calling to return home, to come out of the kingdom of Persia where he had been working and serving because his people had been exiled, to return home to a city that was pretty much in ruins, to a people that were, were hurting, to a religion, to a culture that was broken. To return to that, to build up, was not just an investment in the now. It was saying, for the generations that follow, for the families that come after me, and their families, and their families, we go back and, and do this work. We are charged this morning with the responsibility of lives, of relationships, of marriages, of parenting, of, of children. We are charged with responsibility for them both now and in the future. The eyes of, of your descendants who will follow you are looking to you to see what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? You were challenged by a teenager saying, my generation wants these things. And I'm looking to see how to live by how you represent yourself, how you represent your homes and your marriages. Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we're going to go. We've, we've journeyed through it, um, spent time throughout the, the book, and now we start to, to wrap this, this thing up. 
Um, and we're going to look in, in Nehemiah chapter 5. So if you want to go there with me, that would be great. Nehemiah chapter 5, you can go, um, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to go to your smartphone, if you haven't downloaded version, it's a great app, um, the most uh, widely used Bible app um, out there today for smartphones. And if you go to, to version, you can go to the live side, to the link there, and type in onechurch.tv, and you'll get uh, the scripture and notes for today. Um, so it's a great app to use. No matter how you do it, we're going um, to provide that, that scripture for you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one before you leave, but you can also look to the screen here with us. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 5 and see what he does as he considers both the now of rebuilding the walls and the later of rebuilding the families, the generations that, that were to come. So Nehemiah chapter 5, go with me here and I'll read the, the first couple of verses, all right? Nehemiah 5, let's start in verse 1. It says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. But let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. It starts, chapter 5 starts with an outcry. It starts with an outcry of the wives and the children because they're hungry. There is a famine going on. They don't have the food. They don't have the protection that they need. And it says that they make this outcry against their Jewish brothers. So these were the rank-and-file Jews. These weren't just anybody showing up, like, I'm hungry, I need something. They're not just holding the sign up saying, we'll work for food. These are family members. These are relatives. These are neighbors. These are good friends. And they're saying together, we need help. There's an outcry here from these families, from these people who are hurting. And they're saying, it's great that these walls are going up. It's great that you're doing this in the city, but we're still hurting and hungry. Look what they say in in verses 3, 4, 5. It says, there were those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. They're up to their neck in debt. They're giving away their future to make it through the day. And there were those, in verse 4 it says, and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. So not only can't we make our house payment, we've got to borrow money just to pay the taxes. None of you know anything about that, right? Verse 5 it says, now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and other men have our vineyards. We've given these things away. We can't make the payment and it's gotten so bad that our kids are going into slavery. They're saying here, we're hurting as a people. You can build the walls as strong and as high and as great as you want, but inside of it, we're rotting away. What's on the line here are generations, generations, plural, of Jews who are going to suffer We can do a great job building the walls around us, but if we don't do the work from within, our generations will perish. Our children will perish. Their children will perish. What's on the line here is both the now being fixed and the later, which was clearly broken. They're making strides in the wall. We we, we stopped off last week where they had the wall halfway up. Chapter 4 says that they got halfway there, and there's opposition that came. 
And Nehemiah had been such a great, passionate, convicted leader. He'd done these great things to help his city and his people. But yet here they were still hurting. What use are walls? What use are the things we do if we're not building within as well? It's a now and later that he's left with. It's a now and later that we are left with. Let's look at how Nehemiah responds. I bet you can't guess how he would respond. Verse 6, it says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I'm glad Nehemiah's an emotional guy. Because sometimes it is okay to get angry when it comes to injustice. It is okay to get angry when it comes to people who are hurting. It's okay to be angry. When our anger is focused towards helping those who are in need. It's okay to get angry about where your home is right now. It's okay to be angry the fact that, that your, kids, your kids are still making bad choices. It's not okay to punch them in the face, slap them upside their heads. But it's okay to get passionate, to get emotional, to get real. The eyes of your children are upon you to see. Are you just going to keep pushing your buttons or are you going to get real? Because sometimes that anger, it puts us to work. It gets us into motion. It gets us moving. Sometimes our best workouts are the angry ones, aren't they? I've got a couple of, of, of training NCOs in my battalion. They're a little, a little too hua for me sometimes. Six in the morning. I don't want to do those exercises. And then I get angry at them because I hate them. Then when I'm done, I'm like, that was a great workout. I still hate you so much. But I'm glad. Sometimes when, when we get those emotions going in Nehemiah, his emotions start to go. His blood starts to boil. He gets frustrated about where the people are because he's seen if we build these walls and we don't build within, what we're doing is worthless. It's pointless. He says, I got angry. Then, look in verse 7. Let's see what he does. Oh, I wonder. It says, I took counsel with myself. That's how I interpret it. Nehemiah, guess what? He prayed. I know you're excited for Chris to come back next week because he has like creative points. He has like 19 points. I've got two, and I've used the same two every week for a month. He prayed. I'm sorry, I wish there was something more creative there. He took counsel with himself. He stepped back and he said, what do I do with this? When our anger over something that is worthwhile to be angry about, justifiable to be angry about, when we funnel it through our prayer, we are doing good work. When we funnel our anger through pure, raw emotions, let's punch something, let's kick something, let's storm out of the house, we're not funneling, we're not working it well. Here Nehemiah does, he gets angry, and then he does what Nehemiah does best, he prays. God, I'm frustrated about this, I'm angry about this, I'm not sure what to do, all I know is to stop and pray. It says he took counsel with himself. And then it says in the second part of verse 7, and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. So he prays and then he acts. He responds. And he said to them, you are exacting an interest each from his brother. And he says, I held a great assembly against them. He prays and he acts. He takes counsel with himself and then he brings charges. He acts against them. 
He's saying to them, we are responsible here. This is not just about rebuilding the wall outside of your home. He says that to the people there, and I think he's saying it to the people here. What we are doing is not just getting to where our home is going to make it, and our family is going to survive, and our marriage is going to survive. It is about us collectively. This is a community of faith. This is a community of faith. Together, we raise one another's children. Together, we serve each other's families. Together, we do this. We fight together for our family. We fight together for your family. What we do here is done together. That means some of us need to volunteer and find ways to serve here at our church so we can serve other families. It means, it means when, 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 when staff comes to you, like, would you consider this? Maybe it's a, a, a wonderful, passionate family pastor who has a great fashion sense, and he comes to you and says, would you invest in children? Would you work in the kids' ministry? Would you serve in relevant students? It's because together we raise families. Together we serve. Together we build. Together we fight. Because what we're doing here is now and later. We are serving these other generations. So Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah acts. He takes counsel with himself and he brings charges. And he lays it before these people. This is your responsibility. You're doing great work on the walls. You're doing terrible work inside on the drywall. Together we build. And he lays the charges. And look at verse 12, what they do. In verse 12 it says, Then they said, we will restore these and will require nothing of them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And then at the bottom of verse 13 it says, and the people did as they promised. They didn't just respond. They reacted. They, 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 they restored. They did as they promised. They took care of one another. They served one another. It's one thing for you to hear me today about serving one another and serving in our church and serving in our small groups. It's a whole different thing to actually act upon it. Do something about it. Compel you. Let's serve together. Let's do as we promise and actually make good of taking care of one another and tending to the next generation. Not just our next generation, but the church's next generation. Our families are waiting for somebody to show up and speak up. Nehemiah showed up and he spoke up and the people responded because he lived a life of conviction, because he, 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 he filtered things through prayer and through scripture and worship. When he said something to them, even if it was hard to hear, it says that they responded. They did it again and again and again and again throughout the whole book. We should rebuild these walls. Yes, let's do it. We should do it even though people want to kill us. Yes, let's do it. And by the way, forgive debt. Yes, let's do it. It's because when this man showed up and he spoke up, people responded. Your family is waiting for you, dad. Your family is waiting for you, mom. Your family is waiting for you, stepdad, stepmom, grandmother, grandfather. Wherever you lie in your family, they're waiting for you to show up and speak up. They want leadership. They want somebody to tend to them and care for them. 
They desire to be led. They desire a model of health. They desire to be protected and cared for and provided for. They want a a leader. Nehemiah was that there. We're looking for Nehemiahs here. Are you willing to be that Nehemiah leader in your home? He showed up for the now and he showed up for the later. So he lays this before the people. Let's look what happens. Let's kind of start to pull this together and see what our next step is. Flip over chapter 6. Go down to verses 15 and 16. A couple other things happen. Sanballat and Tobiah, his enemies, they show up again because they're idiots. They do a conspiracy. He doesn't fall for it because Nehemiah is way smarter than those guys. The people keep working, the people keep building, the people people keep serving one another, keep helping one another. And then look at verses 15 and 16. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 52 days. From Nehemiah starting the work, they were finished. It was a mere months, couple of months, six months or so after he had heard the cry of his people, after he'd spoken to his king, he landed there, he, he, he invested in the people, he led, he said, let's do this. And when they started to work, in 52 days it was finished. And a lot of people are going, I wonder what that 52 days means. See, when you're a youth pastor, you get asked lots of crazy questions by teenagers, because they think, like, that's, you know, what I learned in seminary. Like, when I went to seminary, I took, like, Old Testament, New Testament, counseling, preaching, Hebrew, Greek. I didn't take a class on crazy questions that teenagers go, I wonder. But I get asked that all the time, like, demons and Satan. They always want to know about Revelation. I'm like, I don't know. Revelation scares me. I rarely read it. <laughs> they love to ask questions about numbers. What does this number mean and that number mean? So a lot of people look at 52, and I wish I had, like, some profound answer for this. It, oh, it means 52 Levitical laws that were represented, or it was 52 parables given by Jesus, or 52 priestly prayers. You want to know why the number 52 is in Nehemiah chapter 6? Because it took 52 days to build the walls. You know what the Holy Spirit would have prompted the writer of this book? If it took 53 days, it would say, in 53 days we finished the wall. If it took him 152 days, or 252 days, or 452 days, or 1,052 days, it says 52 because it took him 52. We run around wanting a magic number. We want a magic number. How long is it going to take to build the walls? How many days? What do I have to do to rebuild my family, to restore my marriage? We're on the verge. We're barely hanging on. I don't know if we're going to make it through this crisis. What do I do? What, how many days? And I thank so many of you for being so kind in your words, in your emails, your text messages, not so much in your tweets, but everything else. You guys have been so kind to, to say things, to come to me and be like, we're hurting. And tell me how many times over the last month I've met people in the hall and they're crying, they're, they're, they're broken, they're on the verge of giving up. Thank you for being real and honest with me, sharing those needs. And I wish I could say to you, all right, get 52 days. 
Take these 10 steps. I wish I had a formula. I wish I, wish I had a prescription, some potion to give you, but I don't. Because I don't know how many days it's going to take to rebuild the walls around your home, around your marriage, around your own heart. I don't know. Because the only m- number that matters to you and to me, the only matter, number that matters to our homes and to our families and to our children is one. This one day. Are you willing to show up this one day? Are you willing to serve this one day? This is all we've got. We must live now in this one moment, this one day. We need to show up today. We need to work today. We need to trust God today. The wall around Jerusalem went up one day at a time, one board at a time, one nail at a time. Because Nehemiah and the leaders and the people and the craftsmen and the carpenters and the soldiers and the warriors were willing to show up one day at a time. That's the magic number, one. Right now, what are we going to do when we start to think, what's next for me? What's next for my spouse? What's next for our family? What's next for my journey of faith? We have this one day. That's our magic number. And we do it one day at a time, one board at a time. We see this from Nehemiah, how he did the work, how he led the people to do the work was one board at a time. And as I read through these verses, as I read through these chapters, as I look at this book, they tend to kind of pop up again and again. There's three kind of primary boards that he laid out to rebuild this wall and to lead the people to rebuild the wall. Let me give you those three boards and then I'll be done for this series, all right? The first board is this. He gave the board of time. Nehemiah gave time. He left a good job. He left a comfortable job. He left the palace of a king of the most powerful nation on earth at that time and gave time to the Jewish people, to his ancestors, to his relatives. He gave the time for those generations to come. He gave the time for those people living there now. He gave time. And when he showed up, he gave, he gave this time to the people. We, when rebuilding and working in our lives and building our families and building our marriages, we've got to give time. For many of us, a, a great place to start is having a family meal, having a, a, having a family dinner. The Child Trends Database, which is a, a collective group and they run a website, they wrote this about family meals. It says, Teens who regularly have meals with their families are less likely to get into fights, think about suicide, smoke, drink, do drugs, and they are less likely to have a later, or they're more likely, I'm sorry, more likely to have a later initiation of sexual activity. And they have a better academic performance. Because you cook macaroni and cheese, mom. Because you make a frozen pizza, dad my number one recipe because you're willing to put the fish sticks on the table and say this is where we come together turn the 15 tvs off in your kitchen you don't need them in your pantry turn them off gather together and say as a family let's connect and it says if we do this the 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 stats are trending that teens who have this with their family are less likely to fight 
commit suicide, smoke, drink, do drugs, all the things that youth ministers say you shouldn't do. You'll put me out of work, moms. You'll put me out of work, dads. Isn't that incredible? Because I'm way overpaid. If you guys were to do this, if we were to do this as a family, we pull together and we begin to to have this time to connect, to build relationships. Harvard researchers, this is Harvard here, all right? It's It's not like, you know, Hopkinsville Tech, all right? This is Harvard. It says, when they looked at activities which fostered healthy child development, play, story time, events with family members, and other different things, family dinners won out. How easy is that? We've got to eat. Let's eat together. Of all the things that we could do, some of the greatest investment we can make in the time of our family is to make time for family dinner. Because it's there that we communicate. It's there that we build relationships. And this isn't just good social work here. This is good biblical work. We're teaching our kids to communicate, to relate, to listen, to speak, to pray together. My kids hate it when we're at public restaurants and I'm like, it's time to pray. Like, do we really have to pray? And I go, yes, really? It's also because I like to embarrass them, but we pray. This is what we do. We wouldn't have this food if God wasn't good to us and give to us. We do it around our dinner table. We do it when we're in public. We take that time. Does it happen every night at my home? Heck no. Some nights I just want a bowl of cereal by myself. But we take time as a family, take time as a family to do this. We need to have family meals. Another board we could lay in is family time. Create a family night. This is when our family does this. Be consistent about it. Be creative about it. We're going to have board games. We're going to talk about this. We're going to have family devotion. And don't be like, well, it'll be Thursday this week and Tuesday next week and the second Wednesday of the month. No, I'm talking about be consistent. Every week is this. Because if family night is every night of the week, there's no family night. Your family night must be at that one time. Get together. Be consistent with your kids. Be consistent with your spouse. Spend that time together. Every Thursday night growing up for me, our family went out for pizza at Padrino's because it was the best. Every Thursday night we did that. Long after I left the home, long after I went to college and got married, there's still Thursday nights. I'm like, man, I really crave Padrino's pizza. That's what my family did. There actually became a point where Thursdays became more difficult for me. My parents shifted. They said, well, if we can't do it here, and it became another night of the week. This was the night we go out. This is the night we spend time together. My parents fought for that time. They made that time, that nurturing time, where we're together. It doesn't matter what it is, but let's do it. Let's spend that time together. Maybe it's vacation time. I have a good friend. love him. love so much about him. I won't throw him under the bus by saying his name, but I'll give you his Twitter feed after church. He said to me one time, he's never been on vacation with his kids. And he said, I go on vacation so I can come home and serve my family. And I said, that is a load of crap. I go on vacation with my family because I want to be with my family. Do I sleep? No. Is it hard? Yes. 
Do I spend a ton more money than I probably would alone? Probably, but I want to be with my family. That time is our time. We put work away. We put computers away. We put phones away, and we are together. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm creating in my kids a desire to not only be with their family, but one day their family is going to go, and they're going to be passionate about their vacation time. We commit to it on a date. We, we take time and put money aside. We forgo things during the year so we can afford to go on vacation. That's time we spend together. Or we need to spend one-on-one time with our kids. Dads, take your daughters on dates. Even if they think it's creepy that you call it a date, you need to set for them the example of what it means a real man showing up and showing honor and respect and dignity to that girl. Because one day a greasy, pimply, sketchy boy is going to show up and he's going to want to take her out. And if you're not spending that one-on-one time with her, she's going to let him do whatever the heck he wants because she doesn't know any better. Dad, set the example. Moms, spend that time with your sons because one day some hoochie mama girl is going to show up and she's going to be like, I never had a dad who showed me what to do, so let's just figure it out on our own. If we don't set the standard, they will make a standard. This is what we do on dates. Spend that one-on-one time. My daughter hates that I call it date, so we just call it special time. Rachel, do you want to go on a date with me? No. Can I call it a special time and we'll go to Genghis Crew? Yes. She loves that because we spend that one-on-one time. My son, my, my middle son, Luke, he accepted Jesus Christ this week as his Lord and Savior. It was really a, a neat night. Thank you. Thank God for grace. And we sat down at his bed the other night because he was asking these questions. And my wife and I were in there. And we start talking through and we start answering his questions. And we start talking about grace and life and all these. And all of a sudden, my wife's going old school. And she's like drawing, the, you know, the picture of the gap, you know. And here's us on one side and here's God on the other. And the cross gets us, a, you know, across it. And we can cross over and have a relationship with him. We're laying these things out. And there in the doorway is our youngest son, Eli. And he's watching and the next night he came to my wife and he said, are you going to come to my room tonight and draw pictures about God? Whether or not he's ready to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior, we pray that he is. And we know that out there we're going to claim in faith that out there that, that, that's going to happen because we're going to continue to present the gospel to our kids. But what mattered to him right then was mom and dad are doing special time with my brother and I want that too. Our kids long to be with us. And a day is going to come when they don't long to be with us. So let's make the most of it now. Let's take that one day now, that one magic number of today and be with them now. Our family time is so vital, and the time we spend with our family is so significant. It's so important. And don't come at me, well, I give my family quality time, not quantity time. Because in fact, there's been research done um, by Harvard as well that says most studies have indicated that quality time versus quantity time is is an ill-founded debate. It's not either or when it comes to our children. The choice is both and. The children that grow up best adjusted and happiest in life are those who had parents who spent considerable amounts of quality time and quantity time with them. We must be in the moment with them, and we must spend that time with them as much as we can, as consistently as we can. So dads, when you deploy, get on Skype with them. When you're away on a business trip, make calls to them. Spend time however you can. Get creative, get passionate, but get consistent and do it often. Our families need this. 
They crave for this. They want that board around their house, that first board laid in to be a board of time. We spend time together. Nehemiah gave time to his people. We give time to our people. The second board that we laid in was the board of, of talk. We must speak words into our families. The power of words is evident in Nehemiah's leadership. When he spoke, he spoke with conviction. He spoke with power. We see in, verse, in chapter 5 we just read, he speaks with rebuke sometimes and challenge. But Nehemiah showed over again and again and again his words were full of power and correction and love and challenge. Ted Tripp, who's a great Christian writer and writes very profoundly on, on parenting and families, he wrote this about communicating between our children. Communication must be multifaceted and richly textured. It must include encouragement, correction, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, understanding, teaching, and prayer. All of these must be present in your interaction with your children. All of it. I know that's overwhelming, but I'm sorry. Your kids need all of that. Your spouse needs all of that. Your spouse needs you to be their greatest cheerleader. They need you to be the CEO. They need you to be the motivator. They need you to be the sounding board. Your kids need you to be their cheerleader, their CEO, their motivator, their sounding board. We need to create a place where in our home is so much grace and so much mercy and so much understanding that our children have the confidence and they're comfortable coming to us to share anything, anything. My son Luke has a very active mind. He's, he thinks and processes. He's going to be an engineer one day, and I really need that to happen because I'm going to be really poor when I'm old. Like my retirement plan, I have two retirement plans. It's, it's Luke becomes an engineer or the rapture. That's all I got, people. I got nothing saved up. I got him making me money or Jesus coming on back and taking me home, all right? Because then I get a mansion. Luke, one day I'm at work, and my wife calls me, and she's like, Luke's asking questions about sex. What do I do? And I guess it's because I was at work, and I wasn't there, and I was like, well, talk to him about sex. She's like, what? See, my wife is one of three girls. Up until Luke was born, she and her sisters had only had girls. They are a girl-heavy family, and then these weird boys with weird boy parts start showing up. And Luke was like six at the time, and he's like, you know, how are babies born? And, you know, the, the answer, the stock answer we gave our daughter, who's a few years older than him, was, well, God puts them there. And for her, she's like, that's cool. But Luke's like, yeah, but how does God put them there? He's asking these questions to my wife, and she's like, what do I say? And I was like, do we tell him? We're going back and forth. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. So with our daughter, it was just like, you know, when she started asking more questions, you know, realized the stork doesn't deliver the baby. You know, for her, it was like, well, you know, you know, we just kind of did hand motions and made noises. And then she's like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. But Luke, he's like, yeah, but what does this mean? Woo! So that night, we're at Barnes and Noble, and we're looking through these books, these little kids' books, and we're like, we've got to talk about this. And these books, we came across a really great one, and and you guys can email me. I'd love to give you the titles and all that kind of stuff, the books that we use to kind of lay this out for him. 
And it's set in series. There's different books. Luke, we read the first one to him. And then a couple weeks later, he's like, he's like still asking these questions. So we read the book again. Then we read the book that's not for his age because he still wanted to know. And he uses, like, legitimate words that I didn't learn about when I was his age. Because most of us, our education on that was like HBO. And our family didn't have cable. It was all squiggly. And then it would like kind of clear up and be like, oh. That's how it is, huh? It's not it at all. I shared my journey last week. And, and I didn't have the confidence to go to my parents. I, all that I kept secret. And it tore me up inside. And it led to destruction later in my life. I abused sex. I abused lust. I objectified women because I didn't ask. I didn't know. My wife called me. She's like freaking out. Again, maybe it's because I was at work, but I said, he's giving us a gift. He's coming to us. He's asking us. We get to give him healthy, biblical, Christ-centered answers to be able to share with him that sex is a gift from God. And it is not about us, and it's not about her or him. It is about Jesus Christ being glorified in our relationship, husband, wife. We get to share that with him. He's not going to have a sketchy boy show him a porn. He's not going to have a sketchy girl let him do whatever he wants. We get to share this with him. And we started with him not a talk, but a dialogue to answer these things. We have to be willing to talk, even on the difficult subjects, even on the hard ones, even on the ones that make us uncomfortable. Mom, dad, grandparents, step-parent, they need you. Show up in your time. Show up in your talk. Nehemiah did. We can too. Finally, he showed up in his treasure. Nehemiah gave time, he gave talk, but he gave treasure. He rallied the people to give not only energy, but to give resources. He asked the king himself in chapter 2, hey, we need all the wood, you're going to give it to us. Nehemiah gave up a great job. He gave up a great pay to return to do this. The treasure was there. It's easy to see that they were committed Because the work got done in 52 days. They gave the time. They gave the energy. They gave the treasure. And it got done. The New Testament says, for where our heart is, there is our treasure too. See, when we put our time to things, we put our energy to things, that shows what our treasure is. Our treasure is where our energy, our time, our passion is spent. And it's clear they were passionate about getting those walls rebuilt. But very often when it comes to managing our homes and leading our families, our treasure is get them the heck in bed because our favorite show is coming on. Kid, don't you realize it's the mid-season spoiler alert of Survivor and we've got to watch it. Get to bed. Very often it's get them out the door to school. That's our treasure. Just get out the door to school so I can relax. Very often it's, it's get them out the door to college so as a husband and wife we can finally do all the things that we said we were going to do. Our treasure is get them out of the way. For many of us our treasure is get to work so our spouse can deal with it. I'm guilty of all of these. Like this week. Very often my treasure is get the kids out of the way so I can do what I want. For where our heart is there is our treasure. What do you treasure? Do you treasure a home that just simply keeps up with the Joneses down the street? Or do you treasure a home that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I seriously doubt that when Christ sits upon his throne and he brings judgment to your life, he's going to look at you and be like, man, you really screwed up with the kids. But man, your fantasy football teams were awesome. I don't think Jesus is going to look at you and be like, yeah, your, your marriage was a wreck, but you had two motorcycles. Get in there. Let's go. Eternity party. I seriously doubt that Jesus on his throne is going to look at you and be like, man, your home was a mess, but your body is awesome. Way to go with the physique. The Pilates really worked for you. Seriously doubt that Jesus is going to look at you and go, man, that marriage really blew up. Your kids went off the deep end, but your 401k is impeccable. Your investments, those are all well and good things. But we're not going to be judged by our softball teams. We're not going to be judged by the size of our house. We're not going to be judged by how many cars we had in the driveway. When Jesus looks to us, he's going to say, what did you do with the treasure I gave you? The treasure of your spouse, the treasure of your kids, the treasure of your friendships, the treasure of your church. That's what he's going to judge us upon. And for many of us, the, 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 the thing that we show as our treasure every single day is our phone. And we're on it all the time, looking at it all the time. Moms, dads, put your dang phone away. Put it up, turn it off. You don't need it all the dang time. I have film. There is film of me when my youngest son is learning to walk and he's walking to me and I'm scrolling through another stupid app on my phone. God, forgive me for the time I've wasted on this machine. Put it up, put it away, because nothing is more important than your wife, than your husband, than your family, than your friendships, than your accountability. Nothing, no tweet, no Facebook update, no fantasy football team, nothing is more important. So put these things away, put these treasures away, and realize, what is the treasure of my life? Is it what I want, or is it what God has for my family? Nehemiah showed himself in the boards of those walls day after day of time, of talk, of treasure. And we can build our homes the same way, day in, day out. And many of you are wondering, how long? Until it gets done, that's how long. As long as it takes, that's how long. We must serve and commit to serve our families through thick and thin, good and bad, and everything in between to serve our families, to be there with them until it gets done. My mom is a, is a um, prolific note writer. She's old school cards, handwrites, stamps, like I didn't even know this existed anymore. That's what my mom does. My very last day of college, my senior year, I was graduating the next day. I was clearing out my, my, my room. I was clearing out my desk that I had had for, for three years. I'd had this desk. And I'm pulling out, and I've got papers and books. And then all of a sudden, it's cards, cards, cards of my mom just writing to me. I'm proud of you, son. I love you, son. Sometimes it was long notes. Sometimes it was short notes. Just thinking of you today. As I've gone on to be married as I started to raise children of my own, the notes keep coming from my mom. Yesterday, I walked by her mailbox, I pulled out the mail, and there was a note from my mom to my kids. Her work isn't done as my mom. She continues on. She invests into my life. She invests into my kids' life. She sees that as her calling. Our job is not done when they're married. Our job is not done when they go to college. Our job is not done when they leave in school for the morning. 
That's when the work really gets going. And we build these walls of time, of talk, of treasure. We lay those in and we see that there's a heavy workload. There's rubble, there's opposition, and it will overwhelm us. It will wind us. It will, it will, it will take our strength away. So thank God that Nehemiah, in all of the worst of that, he did what he did. He showed up. He left the palace of the Persian king. He heard of the destruction. He saw the mess. He listened to the opposition, and he led those people. He showed up for the now, and he gave for the later. And he wasn't the smartest, and he wasn't the most skilled, and neither are you and I. We don't have to be perfect parents or perfect spouses. You have to be exactly who you are and show up for our family. That's why our big idea today is this. We must, must, there's no way around it. We must show up. He showed up. And he showed in his conviction a heart that stirred for people that he did not have to help. He did not have to show up, but he was convicted, so he did, and he gave for people. He gave for these people. It shows that he was able, he had a mind and a heart that was ready to do the work because he continually spent time with God in prayer and in worship. So he was able to do this. And he was willing. He was willing to show up. He arrived on the scene in Jerusalem when no one else would. For almost 90 years, the walls were destroyed. For a century almost, the walls were destroyed and nobody did a thing until Nehemiah, convicted, able, and willing to show up. Thank God for this. And thank God that Nehemiah is just simply, simply an illustration of one who is far greater, who was convicted for his people. And he was able to be their sacrifice and he was willing to show up. Thank God that Nehemiah is simply a forerunner to Jesus Christ whose heart was moved for people, so he, 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 he didn't have to help us. He didn't have to be our sacrifice or offering, but he was convicted for us, so he came. He was able, and he alone is able to be the one true sacrifice to take our sins upon himself. No one else can. Jesus was able to do this, and he was willing to show up. He left heaven. He left eternity. He left his throne next to his father, and he became incarnate. He became in flesh and came to walk and live among us. And while he was here, he lived an exemplary, sinless life, and he showed up on the cross willing to take my sins, my guilt, my shame, willing to take your sins, your guilt, your shame. Nehemiah was but a small, failed illustration of the great, full, incarnate Jesus Christ who came for you and I. Many of us wondering what our next action step is. I've been praying about this. I'm ready to act. It's respond to Jesus. Because many of you here today and being here today will not save you. Bringing your family to church will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. Providing for your family will not save you. You know what will save you? Jesus Christ he will save you. Dads, many of you are here, and you're good dads. You're good men. But that is not going to save your eternal soul. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I wish we had time to show scripture after scripture after scripture. But if we spend time talking through this, we'll see again and again and again, Jesus Christ is a sacrifice for you. Moms, being a good mom is great, and I'm thankful for that. 
But if you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not trusting Jesus Christ with your salvation, with your eternity, and in faith, reach out for his grace, we leave our kids nothing. We can bring them to these environments here. And the fact of the matter is, they're going to learn and respond to Jesus before you do. So hear his call to you. Jesus is convicted for you. He is able to be your sacrifice, and he showed up. Let the first boards that we lay around our home be the boards of the cross. And we say the cross is what will lead our family. We don't know how it's all going to work, where we're going to go next, but we will lay these boards, and we will begin to put in the time and the talk and the treasure to build a family that matters. Let's respond to Jesus, his leadership and sacrifice for us, for our families, for our friends. You pray with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And many of us here today are wondering, is Jesus that Savior for me? May your conviction fall on us now and realize that we're thinking that because, yes, this is our time to respond. We've dabbled around the edges for too long. We've tried to be moral. We've tried to be ethical. But those things don't stack up when left to ourselves, to our own strength. May we trust in the cross. May we trust in Jesus. Jesus alone. Save dads today. Save moms today. Save kids today. Call them into relationship with you. They came here looking for a morning at church. Let them walk away with something far greater. An eternity of community with you, the grace of your son. Thank you for loving us so deeply, so passionately that you were willing to save us and through that start to save our homes and our marriages, our relationships. Be glorified in this place, God, as we build a home that is based on your grace, on your mercy, and on your gospel. I lift up these people in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.